0: what's up peeps? I go by the name of say no more and welcome to another interview so this is a special interview today guys normally you see me interviewing fighters MMA fighters boxers but today I've got a a twist on it I think it's going to be a good twist for you guys but I've got a twist on it so today I have with me a professional mental performance coach he's worked with UFC fighters Bellator fighters and karate combat fighters and amongst other things as well but we'll we'll, I'm going to talk to him we're going to get into it about it about his his work uh, how he helps fighters prepare men- mentally, but uh, I- I'll let him introduce himself.
1: What's up, guys? This is uh, this is Dylan Adler from Mindlock Mental Training. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, but
0: again, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for coming on. So, do you wanna um, just give a, a quick synopsis about about uh, what is a performance uh, a mental performance coach?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, at Mindlock, we work with high performance athletes to develop the mental game, right? Um, you know, what's that mean and why does it matter? Well, when you look at an athlete and you, and you try to break down, you know, how much of performance is mental versus physical. I mean, everyone answers something a little bit differently, but it's at least 50, 50, right? Like you have to say it's at least 50, 50, but then when you look at the training and how that gets broken down and when you deconstruct really the way that a, a high level competitor trains, I would say it's like 95% physical, right? Between the strength and conditioning and the cardio and the technical and nutrition and sleep. So there's a, a huge amount of the work that gets put into training is physical, but then the mental component makes up so much of performance. So there's a discrepancy, right? So what we do is we really try to bridge the gap between, you know, the amount of performance that is mental versus the amount of training that's mental and then create kind of a balance there so that, you know, every time you compete, whether it's fighting or it's, you know, any sort of other sport, team sports, individual, whatever, you can go out there and, and really be at your best. So we really build up different uh, different pillars on the mental side. So things like confidence, goal setting, motivation, uh, things like identity and consistency, right? And, and just kind of creating that foundation so that you know when you train hard and you really work hard and, and build up all these physical skills there's something to support that and you can go out there and execute so it's kind of the, the short form of, of what we do
0: okay okay that makes a lot of a, 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 a lot of sense to me right because a boxer once said right he uh, he said boxing but i would coin it as any any type of any type of combat sports right he, he said that boxing is intellect manifested on in a physical physical form right so you you're gonna need that. It's kind of like it's kind of like physical chess or any any court of fighting sport. So you're gonna need that mental side, right? Not only why, not only when you're fighting, but also preparing yourself for that. So from yeah. what you said, are you saying that you because obviously they're going to train for eight weeks, right? They're going to have their have their strength and conditioning, have their sparring, all of that stuff. So are you saying you help that eight weeks of training physically? Are you saying you help them train the mental side for maybe not eight weeks, but throughout the training camp, you help them get mentally ready and train the mental side of their fight game,
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it's not just during training camp. It's kind of, you know, year round, the same that you would train. Um, you know, all the time, it, it kind of mimics the same situation where, you know, an athlete will train and if they're a fighter, maybe they'll have camps and they kind of refine their skills for those eight weeks or six weeks or whatever it is. It's the same thing with what we do. So we'll work kind of throughout the year. And then when camps come along and fights start, then we'll start a, you know, same thing, start to refine it and go more and more detailed so that they can get closer and closer to kind of like their peak. But yeah, it's exactly it. It's working alongside with all the other things that athletes do to prepare themselves to be at their best. You know it's meeting regularly to break down the mental side of that so you know the psychological behavioral side of how training is going what to expect from the fight itself creating kind of like mental maps for what to expect you know for, for things leading up to it so really working alongside them in parallel to the physical stuff making sure that you know they're locked in mentally as well okay okay
0: there we go so what i wanted to do because i, I I've, I've i've boxed in the past myself so i am i have a lot for combat sports myself so I, I I know somewhat more than someone that's just coming in to watch and is, is a little bit interested. So I wanted to just play a quick video for people that's are joining. Uh, you probably already know what I'm going to play as one of your videos, but I'm going to quickly play it for everyone. Uh, let me do this. Okay, so I'll quickly play this through just to give people an idea of what it is that you do, and then we're gonna we're gonna jump into some a few more things after that. Okay.
1: You see that sport is ninety percent mental. So the question I ask you is. What are you doing about that? The sports industry is growing exponentially year after year, and the level of competition is growing with it. That's why it's absolutely crucial to do everything in your power to separate yourself from the pack while you still can For the first time ever, I'm going to be sharing our winning system at MindLock that athletes all over the world are utilizing every single day. I'm going to give you all the tactics and strategies that I developed as a professional mental coach to some of the top athletes in the world. And as an international champion myself, shaped by my experience working with professionals and organizations like the ufc ncaa cfl bellator olympics and more i've handcrafted a mental training program that's the very first of its kind we're giving you access to our highly coveted system that we use to build champions around the world packed into a six-week mastery course every athlete deserves to experience being the best version of themselves and by the end of this course i promise you'll be closer than you've ever been before we say that sport is 90 percent mental
0: okay so there we have it yeah, i just wanted to play that for anyone that wasn't sure about what dylan does and how he works with fighters i think it was quite a good uh like an introductory introductory video i will say this as well i did it i just saw edison barboza in that video i didn't know you worked with him but
1: no i didn't i did work with him but um i i took a, a trip to i was invited to american top team uh to kind of talk to some of their athletes and, and kind of tour the place by dean thomas um so he invited me over and, and i Kind of spoke to some of his athletes, and it was just like cool. the, the people that you bump into there. I mean, so many superstars, so that was just kind of a, a cool picture I got with him But yeah, it was uh, it was a crazy experience to go down there and just see you know a bunch of high level athletes training under one roof. It was nice to see.
0: There we go. There we go. And shout out to your videographer because that was actually quite well
1: done. Not nice, mm-hmm. done video, so shout, out shout Yeah, out yeah. yeah, shout out to him. That's he's um he, he's called Six Sense Digital out in Ottawa. So if you're out in Ottawa, give him a call. He's like the best cinematographer around
0: there we go there we go and some people you know some people might be coming into this interview and not seeing that video or not seeing uh your little explanation about what you do right so some people might say oh how is he qualified how is it, how is dylan dylan qualified to you know help fighters mentally right so obviously i know that you you, you fought yourself in the past you were a you was a team captain of the uh, taekwondo national team for canada right so I know you, you fought for many years, so you have that side of it, you know, fighting at a high level, right? But did you do any studying? Did you, did you do any studying for like psychology or anything or any 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 studies re- related to this kind of work?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of both coming together. So I have, a, I have an honours degree uh, in psychology from the University of Ottawa over here. Um, and then basically merging that with, you know, my experience in sport as a competitor myself and, and working with athletes, I think, only having one or the other isn't isn't quite enough. And, and when you bring the two together, um, you know, it really creates, I think, the most context for this type of uh, coaching and this type of training. So I'm uh, I'm proud to have both elements of it, kind of the academic side and the sports experience side. And it's, uh, I think, you know, gave me a lot of insights into what I used to help athletes kind of every day.
0: Would you say that, say someone that, you know, got a degree, studied science, psychology, right, but was never a fighter, right? Would you say that gives you a, maybe there's other well, not maybe there is other people that do what you do. Do you think it gives you an upper hand or or, you know, maybe you see things from a different paradigm, right? Because you were the fighter yourself as well as, you know, studying psychology.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. And I think that's what was able to get me to the places I was before I was able to graduate was that connection piece. Um I mean, athletes are, are like anybody where we want to feel connected to each other, right? We want to feel like the person that we're talking to gets it. And and I think the worst way to go about that is to have to explain everything, right? So to explain, for example, the context of a fight week or a weight cut or traveling and, you know, questions around that, of oh, well, what's that like? Or can you explain more, right? So I think my ability to just get it because I've, I've been there and I've, I've lived it myself, it, it cuts out a lot of that needing to explain it, we can get right to what's going on. And and I think that really helps establish that sense of connection. Like I'm not just talking to someone that's read it in a book, I'm talking to someone that's lived it. And and again, there are only so many things that you can learn about without experiencing, right? So, you know, you can read up on performance anxiety and nerves and and stress, but it's a different thing when you have felt what it's like to walk out in in a stadium of you know, 10, 15,000 people with a crowd, you know, cheering or booing in a, in a country they've never been to with food you don't recognize and trying to navigate where to go. Like, there's, it's a different feeling, right? So, I think too, it, it adds that element of familiarity there. So, when I speak to athletes, we're able to talk kind of peer to peer as opposed to like, you know, I'm the guy in charge and, and listen to me. I think it goes both ways. Yeah, that, that
0: does make, make a lot of sense. Because uh, I, what, uh, I used to box a little bit, had, had a few fights. And it was so annoying to me when I was talking to people that's have never experienced it. Obviously, I know they meant well. They meant well, you know. But in my head, I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. No, it's not, you know. So, and when I did speak to other fighters, it was so refreshing, right? It's so. And I know you know what I mean. Someone might have. There might be a, someone who's who's watched over a hundred fights, but they've never fought for themselves. So they think they know, but they really don't. They really don't. It's like when I used to spar, right? I used to not want to spar, like, I, I always think, hmm, what if I go in there and uh, especially because I used to spar bigger like, guys, so I was really fast. So, when I was fighting around uh, 65 kg and sparring like 80 k, 90 kg guys, and I was like, oh, this guy's really big, what if he hits me? Because, as, mu- as much as you believe in yourself, right, as a fighter, you still have to be practical. You, you know, there's that, like, I'd say, like, not that you're doubting yourself, but you have to be aware, you have to be objective. It's, it's still a fight, right? you got to be objective, you can't. I might think I'm the best, but you still have to be objective. So I think, oh, these bigger guys, da, da, da. But once I step through that rope, all of that, it, it goes away. All of that, maybe, not, I wouldn't say doubt, but all of that, oh, I don't feel like sparring today, or I don't feel like fire, it goes away. So and I know exactly what you mean. It's so refreshing when you talk to someone else that's done it before or that's doing it. And I can see how that really has probably propelled you, like you said, to the positions that you've been in. Not only you have got the degree, you've got the... Uh, the high
1: level experience as well yeah i think there's i think there's a flip that goes off in the back of people's head when they talk to someone and they quickly realize you know this person is like me or not like me right and, and i think it's pretty quick in a conversation and you know anytime you have a moment of mm, this person's kind of an outsider, you know, sometimes that can just happen, like you said, they just don't get it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, but I think it, it definitely contributes to how comfortable you feel with someone right away, at least I mean, maybe over time, things change. But you know, that ability to, to talk to someone and instantly feel that connection of all right, this person gets it, let's get right into it. I don't have to do a lot of labor of trying to get them to understand. So yeah, you're right, it's a, it's a different feeling. And it's definitely refreshing to be able to talk to someone kind of in the scene, as opposed to trying to explain something that is really tough to explain
0: yeah for sure for sure so um just so anyone watching right so i, I first i first heard about you 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 well my luck through Kamar, kamaru isman right so i was watching the UFC and he did an interview and he mentioned he's mentioned my luck uh and i was like okay so okay so uh, i know that i know there's mental performance coaches right? i know I've, i know that they exist right but he was giving you quite a big up so i was like okay cool i've heard about him. And then obviously this is a boxing and mma channel so i interview fighters so uh correct combat middleweight champion Russ mean i've interviewed him numerous times on the channel right and i was interviewing him and i just asked him what are you or what how, how's the rest of your day playing out and he's like i've got a call with my mental coach and i was like okay that's, that's pretty cool and then he mentioned to me it's my luck and i'm like okay this is the second time i've heard this now right and then so i did a little bit of research and and I saw that you you worked with Cody Stamman as well. He's also he's in the UFC. And I remember him. And I think it was I think it was a, a post fight interview. I, I could be wrong, but I think it was a post fight interview. And he said that I, I, I've been on I've been on a free fight losing streak. I wasn't sure how it was going. I need to give props to my mental coach, right? So when I saw that interview, I had I had no idea that it was you. I had seen that i saw the interview previously previous to me doing research about my love and i was like, oh well so it's three different occasions that i heard about you right from pretty pretty well, well, well known names about what you do so i, I thought to myself okay i, I want to interview this guy i want to see how he works with fighters but i, I want to take it back before we get into you know you work with the USC fighters also better fires, and i know that you've worked with non-fighters as well we can talk about that was going to be good to hear about it but i want to take it back before you know before you became before you started doing this professionally right so you was a fighter yourself and as you mentioned you're the captain of the uh, canadian uh taekwondo national team right have you always enjoyed fighting when you was a little young young guy what, did you always enjoy fighting from then did you watch it on tv how how did you, what was your first time that you started actually doing fighting as a young a young guy?
1: yeah 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 so my parents put me in in taekwondo when i was five um and you know from there it was something that i just did um you know i played soccer like you know i was just a, an athletic kid me and my brother and um i, I just kept doing it and, and i slowly started to just really enjoy it i mean we, we learned different parts of it right it's one of the more traditional martial arts so you do patterns and then you know there's like kicking pads and stuff like that so sparring was a very small part of it um but but as i got older sparring was by far my favorite part, right? But it was unfortunate that the club I was with, it wasn't a competitive school. So a lot of these kind of traditional martial arts, whether it's Taekwondo or karate or whatever, um, there's not a big emphasis on fighting for a lot of places. I mean, you know, you look at a lot of practitioners of these martial arts, a very small percentage are actual competitors. So the gym I was at was one of those gyms that was more recreational. Um, So after I got my black belt, you know, I realized that like sparring is my favorite part and, and we never sparred and, and I was getting really frustrated. And, and there were a couple moments where I was like, maybe I should just quit. Like, this isn't for me. Like I'm begging them to spar. They won't, you know, no one wants to. And, and there was a time where I, I begged them to like, just tell me where the tournament is. Like we please go to a tournament. And I showed up and no one was there like from my team. So it was a, it was a big event and it was just like my parents that showed up and me, no teammates, no coaches, nothing. So my dad had to end up like with no experience, sitting in the coach's chair and like trying to record me at the same time, because obviously we wanted a video and it was just a mess. Right. But even an experience like that, it, it didn't, it didn't make me want to stop didn't deter me from it. I just felt like, man, I I just need more of this. Right. So what I ended up doing is I ended up switching clubs um, to a more competitive place when I was 12, I think when I was 12, I, I switched gyms. And that was where I really started to build the technical side. You know, until then I had, a lot of passion for a lot of hunger, you know, I was really excited about just the concept of fighting, but I had no actual skill. Like I was a, had a black belt around my waist, but you know, sparring skill set wise, I was like a white belt just because I hadn't learned that way. So kind of had to start from the bottom again. Um, with a lot of teammates, my age, which I was lucky to have, they were way above me, more experienced, more technically skilled. So I got beat up a lot, but I at least knew that I was on the right path. Um, so that's, that's kind of, was my journey from recreational into competitive. And then fast forward a couple of years later, we started to compete more. Uh, you know, I won my first Canadian nationals in 2012. Uh, and then that really just kicked off a lot of international competitions uh, to the point where I was named, you know, captain of the national team, uh, as well as, you know, winning the US Open back to back. So the US Open is one of the most prestigious, you know, tournaments for, for Taekwondo. People come in worldwide to compete and. You know, to win it once is like a huge accomplishment, and and I was able to win it back to back in in 2014 and 2015. So you know, very quickly I would say I was able to really kind of add on the technical side to kind of the passion I already had, and really take it from there. So for me, I was I was never the fastest or strongest or like most physically dominant you know fighter out there for my size and weight class, but I just I wanted it, and I knew what it was worth to me. Like I knew how much I always loved competing, and I, I knew what it was like to not have it. So you know, you never had to question my drive, and, and that's something that I think took me to levels that I wouldn't have got if I uh, if I maybe hadn't started at the more recreational club.
0: Okay, I hear you. So you said you you started at the age of five, right? Mm-hmm. And so from five to twelve, you was at the recreational club, club. Yeah. Okay, I see. And then from twelve onwards, you started taking it more seriously. You switched to a, a, you know a different club. So did you say around you went to your first tournament with your father, and was that when he was around 12?
1: Don't worry, my dad was in the, chat. no, that was, that was a little bit early, maybe around like 10-ish. I think it was the first tournament. It wasn't at that new gym. It was just my first tournament ever. So yeah, it was probably around 10, maybe uh, yeah, yeah. 10.
0: Yeah. I remember you and, and you were the only pick person from your gym there because obviously your gym, it wasn't serious like the new gym that you would have moved to. So yeah. tell me a little bit about that experience. Cause you know, you want to compete, your gym doesn't really want you to compete. You end up going there with your with your parents. Not only are um, none of your teammates there, it's just you and your parents. And not only you don't get one of your coaches, your dad, is, you know, is uh you know, standing in. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about that if you remember much it much about. It. Obviously, you were 10, but tell me a little bit about that experience.
1: Yeah, I remember, I remember it was just it was frustrating, maybe not in the moment because I was just everything was so new that it was hard to be angry i guess i was just kind of taking in the whole environment like i'd never been to a tournament before so i had no one to explain where to go or what to do so i remember it all just happened really fast and before i knew it i was you know standing there and fighting you know there was no one to kind of hold my hand and say all right you know here's how it works um but even before that it was it's just frustrating to i think want to do something and have a passion for something and it just get kind of like the door being closed um none of the other people there wanted to spar and, and when we did it was very intense right because you're basically holding people back for like a whole year and then maybe once a year we would spar so it was kind of like no rules do what you want and i was still okay with that but obviously other people weren't because it got you know pretty aggressive um and then when he'd ask you know i'd I'd ask the instructor could please spar and then he'd ask everybody else like okay who else wants to and you know obviously nobody wanted to so that was frustrating too so i i just i i wanted the opportunity at that point i kind of made up my mind of like well if I'm not going to get the coaching for it, I at least just want to know, like, where are the tournaments? Like, give me a list or write it down, and I'll just, like, show up and do it myself. And I was just pretty relentless in wanting to do that because I, I hadn't found something that made me that happy. Um, and that's why I was, you know, really, really relieved to find a club where they actually build people up for that and, and you know, take the skill set that I had or the passion I had and then add the, the framework to it where I was able to be
0: successful. There we go. There we go. Like, from the way you're explaining it, it sounds like you're a pretty – darn determined 10-year-olds because a lot of 10-year-olds wouldn't be that determined you know would you say it sounds like to me that you already had like a lot of mental fortitude before you even went to that tournament with just your parents right but would yeah. you say that going to that tournament being your only person there from your gym not having a coach and before I actually ask this question another quick question uh, did you did you win fights on that day as well
1: I don't remember honestly I I, I want to say no um, I remember so what's funny about it is, you know, they they announced it as like the something something championship tournament. And that's just what they call tournaments, like the something championship. But but because I never heard it before, I, I thought, oh the championship, like is it the final? Like, did I make it to did I skip something and like make it to the finals already? Like I thought it was this elite event, like the championship. And I'm like, did I just skip everything else? But no, they just they just call it that. Um, but no, I I don't remember. I, I think um I want to say I lost. Um but that's all I can remember. I, I think um, not only did I, okay, there's, there were two tournaments that I went to before I was a part of that club. The first one, I don't remember that much, but the second one, I remember I broke my hand in, which wasn't great. So when I had to, um, cause I blocked the kick like with an open hand. So when i switched club and i was kind of taking a look that first week I, I had a cast on so i was um i was kind of looking through it that way before i before i joined so that's what i remember is the first one everything was rushed the second one i think i, I felt pretty good i think on points i lost obviously because i didn't know what i was doing but i felt pretty aggressive but i ended up breaking my hand which wasn't the best there
0: you go and here you go yeah i went off on a tangent there because i was curious if he had one but what i was going to say is would you say having that experience against your parents no coach you would you say that like that built you somewhat like because you sounded like you was already mentally tough anyway from what you're saying But would, would you say that that built like some toughness in you like mental, mental toughness experience in that at 10 as well
1: yeah i, I don't know if at that time if, if it was toughness or just competitiveness like you know i looking back my whole life i've always been very competitive and in, in whatever i did whether it was house league soccer once a week like I just I wanted to win and especially when I felt like I was good at something so you know if I was good at something and there was a potential to win something out of it like you, you couldn't hold me back um, and, and even you know to this day I'm very competitive so I, I think so. I mean, even looking back to to funny things like you know my my eighth grade yearbook, you know when when it says where do you want to be in twenty years, people write like actor, lawyer, whatever. You know, I put sports psychologist, which was pretty funny because I don't think it's like a common thing for a you know an eighth grader to to put. But it's always I guess been in the back of my mind these things. Um, but yeah, you know that experience definitely I think was a make or break, right? I, I think you could come out of an experience like that you know kind of turned off by everything and saying well you know that sucked I don't want to feel that again but for me it was just like all right well if I if it didn't suck that much when it was just me like imagine how good it could get when you know I, I have support so it was more of I think I took it positively like you know what I still had fun and it was kind of the worst way it could have gone so let's see what happens when it goes my way well, I guess,
0: I'm I'm kind of like for a 10 for a 10 year old to think like that I, I don't I don't think I was like that when I was 10 so there you go, man. I think maybe yeah. you were born to do what you do. For, Thanks man. for sure, for sure. So, yeah, you mentioned so uh, you had you had that tournament. You had you was in a gym that was more recreational from that, and then from about the age of twelve, you went to a new gym, and then from there you progressed, right? You you was going to tournaments, winning some tournaments, you progressed, progressed the na- national level. You say you won the U.S. Open in twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen in taekwondo, right? So you you I mean you're pretty established. Uh, Taekwondo practitioner, you know, high level. So can you talk to me a little bit, li- 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 a little bit about, that you know, you wanted U.S. 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 Open in 2015 But talk to me a little bit about that progression from going to the new gym. So from the age, so you're twelve, right? I'm trying to think. So you're twelve years old. What year was that?
1: Two thousand and eleven. It was it was January of two thousand eleven. So I was uh yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was twelve, turning thirteen in the fall.
0: Okay, so from two thousand eleven from 2011 to twenty fifteen. That's a quite a fast progression, right? You should talk to me a little about like the training that you've done. Also, and did you do a lot of traveling? Obviously, the U.S. Open was in in America, but did you travel to any other countries and and take part in Taekwondo tournaments also?
1: Yeah, a lot. It's a, it's a very international sport. Uh, so you kind of have to at, at a competitive level to to stay, you know, earn your ranking points and things like that. But, you know, I remember my first week there um, it was the week that they were, the competitive team was leaving for nationals uh, in a different province. And, you know, for me, like the, the concept of that was crazy. I was like, wait, like you guys are going on a plane together to go represent like our province and fight. Like it just, it just blew my mind. And, and, you know, my first week there seeing people get ready for that. I was like, man, I want that, you know, like, I want to be a part of a team and a provincial team and travel. Like, it it just felt like too good to be true. So I was like, man, like, I'm just, I want this, you know? So I think that set the tone early on of like, all right, I I want to make sure that I'm in this spot next year. So it, it was a lot of training. Um... And i had a lot to to work on i was very behind kind of everybody else but i think it kept me you know in check uh and and we competed pretty often so we went to you know local events you know small things almost every month and, and got experience there you know nothing huge and then by that summer so if it was january when i joined you know by by august we were really preparing for like the provincials right so that's like the first level of like you know anything special so
0: I had—I don't think I'd, I had—I think I had come
1: close to winning, you know, local events, silver medal, bronze medal, whatever. But I—I I never won anything until like I think the the event right before the provincials so that gave me some confidence of like maybe maybe I can do this because leading up to it I was kind of concerned like if I haven't even won at a local level like how can I win the provincials? So it was it was cool to have a gold medal going into that, um, and, and I fought great at the provincials. I won gold, so I became like the Ontario provincial champion in 2012, and, and that earned me a spot at nationals, you know, later that year um so that that was kind of like a natural progression between fighting at local events then provincials and then nationals where i won too. um and and then in terms of traveling yeah it is very international so that same that next january so you know like i mentioned when i first got there my teammates were preparing to leave for nationals so i qualified for the nationals after that which was in vancouver so you know in canada vancouver is like at the very very west End of the country, like a like a six seven hour flight. So it was far, and, and that was cool for me too. It was the longest I'd had to travel for for Taekwondo. um And after that, it became pretty constant. So throughout all of high school, we were traveling. I mean, all the time, you know, everywhere from Asia, Europe, North America, just fighting at tournaments, competing at the highest level. Um, and and there was a lot. There was a lot of missing school. There was a lot of travel. There was a lot of you know. Weight cuts and getting out of it and going back into it, so it was a a really busy time for like all of my high school years, trying to stay disciplined and just competing almost every month or every two months in a different country. So yeah, extremely, extremely international.
0: There you go. And I suppose that all of that travel experience, because again, just someone just asked a question which ties in with ties in with what we're about to talk about. So I'll, I'll bring up the question in a second. All this travel experience, again, you you probably work with fighters that's only fought in America, right? So all this, all this travel experience, you can, the fact that you've experienced that traveling from country to country and fighting in these tournaments, you can bring that experience to when you're helping the fighters, right? So um, I'm gonna, someone's just asked, what fighters ha- has he worked with? We're gonna talk about it in a second, right? And I've actually a lot of questions myself, but do you wanna just mention some fighters, that, you know, uh, a few fighters that you've worked with, it's, whether, whether, whether it's uh, MMA, even if you brought any boxers
1: or anything, good. all combat sports. Just make yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, different organizations across UFC, Bellator, PFL, Karate Combat. Uh, most notably, I think, you know, the, the current Bellator champion who just who just won the title, Johnny Eblen. Um, I think I think he fights at middleweight now. So, you know, Johnny Eblen is, is a client that I've worked with in the past. Um, in the UFC, you know, athletes like Cody Stamen, uh, Walt Harris, um Jillian Robertson, Montana, Delarosa, um obviously on the Karate Combat side, Ross Levine, who's the champ. Um yeah, a lot, a lot. And then even non combat stuff, you know, Olympians, track and field, you know, basketball players, um, CFL. Yeah. It, it's a lot. I, I keep a list on the, um, on the Instagram page. I have like a, like a guide, I think they call it for kind of athletes that we've worked with. So if I'm missing some, feel free to check out on the Instagram. There's a section of kind of all the, all the high level athletes there too. Yeah, that's
0: a, that's a, that's a great list. There's a vast list. I've watched a lot of those, those people that people DNA your names. And uh, I think the question was quite good. It's, this is a good segue, but before we move into more about your work and what MindLock does, I just wanted to ask, so when you were, uh, you know, 2015, so you must have been about 15 or 16, right? 15 and 16, rough, roughly. You won a US Open in 2014 and 2015, right? The, one of the biggest Taekwondo tournaments. So, and also uh, after that, right, you studied uh, psychology in, in university. So, just talk to me a little bit about, you know, winning a US Open twice. And then from there, you've probably still taken part in Kaekwondo. But the transition from not competing as much. And then obviously studying psychology what made you want to study psychology and talk to me a little about a little bit about the transition from fighting and winning top level tournaments to fighting less and studying about psychology
1: yeah you know it's a good question i think i'd I've always been interested in, in, you know, psychology from a young age, even if it was just, you know, not even fight specific, just, you know, if a new car would come out and they'd name it something, I'd always think like, well, why'd they name it that? You know, who was the target audience? Who are they trying to sell it to with that name? And just like, it was, it was always interesting. I think my dad, my dad was in marketing and advertising. So I think that's probably where those thoughts came from. Um, and then, yeah, like I had said, I mean, in my eighth grade yearbook, you know, when it says, what do you want to be? It's a sports psychologist. So I think I realized early on that, connection between sports and mindset and understanding that it it can't just be a natural thing the same way that we think other things are. I think a lot of the misconceptions people feel like, well, either, you know, you can be tough or you're not tough, but it's kind of a natural thing. It's like any other skill, right? You know, cardio, flexibility, um, strength, these are all things that can be built up. So, you know, I, I realized very early that, it, that has to be the difference maker, right? You know, you watch. I mean, because I was always, I was always a fight fan and a sports fan. I mean, you know, watching UFC from the early days and, and understanding, like, man, the, you know, these two fighters are both amazing, right? You look at like a title fight. Both of the athletes are going to have very similar skill sets and very similar backgrounds and levels of experience. So, what's the difference maker, right? It, it has to be something behind the scenes. It has to be something mental, and you know, that's what I realized kind of early on is like a lot of the time that's the difference maker, right? That the variable that makes the biggest difference has to be something on the mental side. So I've always been interested in that. And then when, uh, when I stopped competing, it was, uh it was pretty much just like a, a straightaway, like I knew what I wanted to do. There, there was no hesitation. It was like, all right, you know, competing's done time to move on to this and, and see if I could bring the two together. Um, you know, there's a chance that I wouldn't like it, or it wasn't what I thought it was, but you know, it, it really was exactly what I was hoping it would be. And, you know, being able to, really bring those things together, you know, so quickly was something that, you know, I think really helped out in the long term. There we go.
0: Just quick two questions, right? So I'm actually eager to get into talking more about fighters myself. Uh, so what what university did you study at for your
1: degree? So I, I started at York University in Toronto, and then I moved to Ottawa, um, which is, you know, a little bit away. So I, I ended up graduating from the University of Ottawa. There
0: we go, there we go. And what 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 was, what, what, what was, in the UK, I don't know how it is it's probably the same, but in the UK, the highest you can get is a first, right? And then the second you can get is a two one that's below first. So it's kinda of like a first would be an A, a two one would be a B, and then a two two would be a C. I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but what what, what grade did you uh,
1: finish with? I so I, I know I, I think it was in terms of GPA because all schools have different GPA scales, like whether it's ten or twelve or seven. I know I graduated cum laude whatever that means so it's like with distinction I think it's like at least either a b plus or an a type of thing which for me was actually good because I've never been a school person I've always hated school so don't get it confused with like oh I got this degree so I'm also like this academic guy like I've, I've hated school so for me to get like a good degree I think it was because um you know just like that that determination to do it but yeah so to be able to because in, in high school I was on honor roll too and then to get kind of like a similar honor roll in, in university for me was uh was special too.
0: There we go. And you mentioned, like, in eighth grade, in your, I think you said yearbook or something, that you, you wrote you wanted to be uh, a sports psychiatrist or something called uh, something like that, right? So mm-hmm. at that point in eighth grade, did you know that you always wanted to work with fighters on the mental side, from, or did that that passion for working with, you know, not just fighters, athletes, right? Did that passion for, to work with athletes come a little bit later, or was it then in eighth grade you knew that you wanted to work with athletes?
1: Yeah, I, I knew I, I didn't know the capacity. I didn't know if I would, you know, work for someone else that was doing it or if I would have my own thing or if I would work with, you know, just one like major team and travel with them. Like I, I didn't know anything about how it actually worked. I just knew that like, that's what I wanted to do. And um, it, it's not like the most common career to take. So I, I kind of had to learn as I went type of thing. But yeah, I, I knew that in some capacity I wanted to work with athletes on the mental side and, and I figured it would just kind of I, I would learn more about it as I went and I would figure it out from there.
0: There we go. There we go. Uh, and and what and what year what year and age were you when you graduated from uh your university and got your degree in psychology?
1: It was just now. It was uh it was like this past this past summer because I had oh, a man. Yeah, because I, I had to take a longer time because I was still competing. So I was competing for a lot of the time for at least the first half of, of university. So I'd be in different countries and I couldn't take a full course load. Um, you know, a lot of people, especially because Taekwondo is an amateur sport, you know, it's not something that you can kind of turn it pro. A lot of people quit after about high school, um, but I stuck to it and it was tough. But yeah, one of the one of the side effects was definitely having to prolong the whole school experience. So, yeah, just wrapped it up um, this past this past semester pretty much is done.
0: Wow! So when did you? Now I've got other questions now. So when did you create uh, Mindlock? Was that why you was competing, or as, as as soon as you finish your semester for your degree, you created it?
1: I, I uh, Mindlock was founded in two thousand eighteen. So I, uh, I I stopped competing at the end of two thousand seventeen, and then basically December went by, January went by, and then that February. I created it so I really only had two months of, of downtime between you know kind of both huge things
0: oh wow I thought so you've been building it you've been building my luck since 2018
1: yeah yeah it's been like four and a half ish years I guess
0: and why well, and in that time you was obviously finishing your degree as well
1: yeah yeah I was doing both at the same time um like I said I've always been kind of like a learn-as-you-go type of guy so it was helpful to do it that way
0: there we go. Ah, okay. I think we've come to a good culmination of what brought you from, you know, loving taekwondo, winning high-level, obviously the amateur sport, but you can still be an, an being an elite, being an elite amateur is almost like being professional anyway, right? So winning the biggest taekwondo tournament twice, right? And now you're here and you work with top level fighters in the UFC, uh, Tour MMA, and other athletes as well. I'm pretty sure you work for a few NFL players as well. So, but this is a fighting channel, so we want to talk about the fighters. So, what I wanted to talk about right. You already mentioned that not not so long ago. Kamara Usman gave you a shout out. I thought you worked with him, but he was just giving you a shout out because he know he knew of the work you did, right? And that's the first time I heard about Milo. I was aware of uh, sports performance coaches or mental coaches. And you've worked with like Cody Stanman, You've worked with also Walt Harris as well. But I, what I wanted to talk about is I wanted to talk about Stanman, right? And then from there we can brush up to how, how you actually work these be fights. Because Cody Stanman he wasn't a on a free fight uh, a, free, a free fight skid, right? He before he lost those free fights, he was a good prospect. Oh, Cody Stanman's good. He even gave Aljamain Sterling quite a tough fight, right? Aljamain Sterling won on points, but it was a, a tough fight, Sterling. So and i think he won a fight after that and then he had three fights he lost to jimmy Riviera, he lost to marabh dachili and he uh lost to khabib cousin Forget his name so no the megamada right and people i was like i was like Simon. i mean i thought he should have beaten riviero and i was surprised when maria won. ah cool so he had lost those three fights and then he comes he comes and after the, the first fight, he wins his fourth, right, in quite, good, uh, in quite good fashion. I think it might have been a finish. Then after the fight, he gives props to his mental coach. And at the time when I was watching that, I didn't know it was you and your company, uh, my mental training. He just said, um, I wasn't in a good place. Uh, I was using free fights, free fights in a row, but I have a new mental coach and he really helped me. So can, can I ask you, when did you start working with Stayman? Was it, was it at the beginning of that free fight? Uh, or was it during the middle of it and what kind of how would you say you helped him because he would, he gave you props right and opposed by energy so how would you say that you helped him you know uh how can i say it? get control of the mental side of, of the sport
1: yeah, yeah yeah so i started working with cody um right after the what was it the song yedong fight i think so that was um must have been 2020 maybe late 2019 i think it was just pre-covid um it was like a tough, I think I think he got robbed from what I can remember. It was like a three round fight. Um, so it was right after that one. Um and then it, it kind of carried on until maybe right after the fight island. So maybe about a year. Um, but I mean Cody's a great guy. He's he's just a, a really hard worker, I think. If you if you follow him too online, you'll see he's just he's a hard worker and he, and he keeps things simple. Um, but he's incredibly tough. And I and I think Cody's the type of person who, you know is great for me to showcase because it's an example of how you can be an incredibly tough person and still benefit from some sort of mental coaching. Um, I think the misconception is like, well, what if I'm already tough and you know, I don't have any, you know, big weaknesses, then how's it going to help me? You know, you can benefit from different ways. It's like the, the analogy I use is, you know, imagine if Floyd Mayweather was like, well, I'm good at boxing. So I'm just going to stop. Right. I'm going to start practicing my jab or or whatever, like, because you're good at something doesn't mean you stop. It means you keep building on it. Right. So I think Cody's a good example of just, being a person with you know toughness and grit um and, and still being able to benefit from something like that so yeah he's he's a, he's a great guy and, and he's found a lot of success and it was so cool to see him you know do all, do well in his last fight because he deserves it you know
0: there you go there you go yeah you mentioned yeah he actually he drew he drew song you then he won the fight off again against brian kennedy and then he had the free fight so oh so i see so you was welcome with him so can you mention because he draws with then he obviously beats brian Canada then he goes on a free fight skid. could you imagine any like maybe i don't know if you can you can say it, it might be confidential between you and the fighter but you can can you talk about any specifics because you was with him with that those three fights in a row that he lost so can you talk about maybe anything specific how you helped or what maybe i don't want to call it activities uh, maybe what tools you use to help him you know to to Turn it around because again,
1: his post-fight enemy he picked you up a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I actually actually wasn't with him uh during those three fights. I think I, I think at the so at the UFC Performance Institute, I think they have access to a lot of, you know, nutritionists and I think there's a couple of psychologists that work there too. So I, I know he's been spending a lot of his time at the PI. So I think out of just convenience it's been easier to, to kind of work with those guys sometimes. So the the three fight skid wasn't with me, it was more oh. the um the Kelleher one, and then the one right after that in Fight Island. So those were those were the two. So in terms of kind of what we focused on, um, you know, very similar, you know, approach with, with most people. It's just a lot of organizing thoughts. I mean, you know, like I said, Cody's someone that's extremely tough. It, it's not someone that it's about repairing, you know, you know, major major things here and there. It's just about organizing things in a way where you have a plan. Um, you can be more intentional about parts of training and, and, and make sure that you know you're able to go out there and compete at your best despite the ups and downs that happen because there's a lot of variables involved especially at a high level so um that's that's what it really came down to with him and especially with that Kelleher fight i mean he, he did everything perfectly
0: yeah, there we go there we go so what i wanted to talk to, to ask you about is obviously you've worked with again johnny evelyn he just beat gay good masasi a good win it was, i think it was unanimous as well actually it was it's was pretty uh pretty, pretty convincing. So I know that you have you have programs right so I know that you have you have individual programs you have group programs you have online coaching and you have and you have consultations right so could you just break down like a little bit I think all of them but mainly the online coaching because I presume the online coaching is what you do the fighters, right so could mm-hmm. you break those down uh break down your four sets of programs you have at, at mindset
1: yeah yeah so there, there's, a, there's a few main ones so um the main, main one is kind of live one-to-one, and by live, I mean, you know, online, kind of like what we're doing now through video call. So, um, you know, it, it's helpful that way because a lot of people, you know, that I work with are in the States or in, you know, kind of internationally and abroad, so it makes it easier that way. Um, so we'll run sessions one-to-one through video call, you know, that can be weekly, bi-weekly or monthly, depending on what people need, you know check-ins and the ability to kind of text and call with updates and and build out plans that are personalized for every person so that's kind of like the one-to-one personalized um you know video call stuff and then you know what we also launched which you know, that promo is for, that you played at the beginning for that video, is, you know, last fall we launched an, an online course, kind of like a masterclass, um, really designed to help athletes train, you know, the mental game when they're on the go and, and when they're at home. So the ability to open your computer, or open your phone and go through different activities and worksheets and assessments and watch, video interviews and video lessons and case studies from you know other high performance athletes and champions and really kind of bundle what we do and package it into a course that you know people can use and access whenever they need to so those are the the two main ones that complement each other is it's the one-to-one stuff uh, as well as the ability to go in and and, you know access that online course and incorporate that part to your training um, no matter how much time you have I mean you can have 30, 45 minutes between two training sessions, you can pop that open and get some work in. So that's a benefit of having something like that as well.
0: There you go. So, do you, so do you have a your platform? Right, you said they can do some uh, online training. So, do you have do you have a mobile app and a website for that? Do you have both? Do you find can they log into an app or is it just like on on a, on the a website?
1: I think it's um it's not like a, an app you can download from the app store, but I think it's accessible through like browsers. So you can you can save it that way. I think you just go into uh it, it it's called courses.mindlock.ca. So you can just type that in whether it's your phone or your computer and then it, it pulls up access. So whether you're on phone or so mobile or laptop or whatever, it, it's pretty accessible no matter which one you're on. It's just not like a physical app you download from the app store. Okay. I yeah, I I
0: good cause, cause I'm getting a sense because obviously I know it's, it's- this is your, your work your job you work with fighters right I, and i don't know if you can i'm getting a sense that you can't say much but you said that they can they can do some like training right could you talk about some of the specifics in the app or or you know in the, in the you said you got the one you got the one-to-one right and then you've got the training courses right so can you talk about some of the specifics in the training course that fighters would be doing right if you can yeah
1: yeah yeah so The way it's segmented is there's kind of like a a video lesson going over everything involved and explaining things and then it's complemented with um different activities and worksheets and assessments so you know an example of one of the first ones that you know i get athletes to do is you know an activity on on goal setting so you know the importance of setting goals not just long-term and short-term but really breaking it down uh to levels even like planning for your next event you know planning for your training sessions you know goals on a daily basis uh as as well as breaking it down both physically and mentally right so looking at performance goals uh you know a performance goal may be you know i want to win my fight or i want to be a champion and then looking at kind of mental goals as well or attitude goals and figuring out well how do i need to feel to do that right what's required from me kind of behaviorally or psychologically to, to really get that out of myself so planning and setting goals on a deeper level both in terms of different time segments and as well as kind of balancing the attitude and the action side so that's an example of, of kind of an activity that gets introduced through a video lesson they're able to download that fill it out um, and then kind of have some some supplementary information as well and that, that's kind of how the chapters progress through the entire program
0: okay and you said the first the first one is is setting. would you say a goat would you say goal setting is a really big part of or do you think it should be a really big part of a fighter's journey when they, you know, they want to win, right? They want to go as far as they can.
1: Mhm. Yeah, I I for sure think it's a it's a major part. You know, I think goal setting is nothing new, right? You know, it's been around a long time. It, you know, everybody or you know, mostly everybody has set a goal at some point in time. Um but the problem with it is there's not a lot of accountability there, right? You know, everybody wants to be a champion, so if that's where we leave it, I mean, what makes us different than anybody else? So, you know, it's really about trying to get people to understand that you have to break it down, right? You know, the same way that when you put a map or a location into your GPS, it has to tell you every little turn along the way. You you can't skip steps and you can't just assume that because you know where you're going, you'll figure it out. It's about the little steps along the way. So I think goal setting is something that most people have tried or experienced in one set or another, even if it's just a question that they've been asked, like, hey, you know, what's your short-term, long-term goal? But doing it in a way that's deliberate and intentional and, and focused and really kind of laid out in this way that acts more like a blueprint to follow than anything else. I think that's what makes it really helpful.
0: There you go. Because I am I'm, I'm I have a lot of goals myself, right? And I'm very big on uh, discipline, right? And I was talking to my friend the other day and I said to him, like, we're talking, right? And my friend said to me, he said, dis- dis- discipline is doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. And I said, as I it's not, bro. It's not. You know where it actually is. So you missed something off there. I said, discipline is doing what you're supposed to do. It's doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, even if you don't feel like it. Right. So would you say it's a big part of goal to it's discipline as well?
1: Yeah, that's the that's the main part. I mean, you know, that's the difference between motivation and discipline. Right. Motivation is, you know, wanting to do something and then discipline is holding yourself accountable to that thing when you don't want to anymore. Right. I mean, there's times where, you're up late and you watch a video that gets you hyped up and you're like yeah you know i'm gonna wake up early and work out or whatever it is and then the alarm goes off and you're like no way you're like i'm not, I'm not doing this i'll mm-hmm. do it tomorrow right so that's the difference between motivation and discipline is that discipline holds you accountable to those goals even when the mood that you set them in isn't there anymore so it's it's for sure a huge partner without discipline you know you you get inconsistency and without inconsistency your results fade so you know discipline is really a strong framework that everything kind of stems from yeah for
0: sure for sure i was watching a, i want to talk more about your your one-on-one stuff right like what you do with the fighters. and you know say what you can say i was watching a t-o ortiz uh, video i interviewed over there actually quite a recent one and he he was talking about discipline and belief and he was saying a lot of it stemmed from his uh, high school wrestling because you know everyone knows especially in america right uh wrestling is very tough it's a very tough sport the coaches are very tough on their on their uh on their wrestlers and he said they did a lot of drills and they you know i don't know if re- i don't know uh you it, they did a lot of practice like wrestling each other and he said a lot of times his coach made them do visualization exercises right so they would close their eyes and visualize you know what they would do in a fight or visualize being a top level wrestler stuff like that and he said that he brought that into when he became an mma fighter to help him and he said that's one of the things that he thought gave him a big edge so uh, my question to you is, do you do any like type of visualization stuff with
1: the 5 you work? With? Yeah, yeah. Visualization is huge. Um, and, and the reason why it's because, you know, our brain, the way kind of like the, the connections work is that whether we actually do something or we visualize it, like the same kind of sparks go off. Right. So, you know, there's a bunch of studies where, um, you know, for example, when they took two different groups i think you know for basketball practicing free throws right and you know one group was able to go to the gym and practice their free throws and the other group had to just kind of visualize it and, and i think when they brought them together the results were kind of similar like they they both made the same amount or, or a similar amount afterwards so it's because whether you're doing something or you're thinking about doing something that that connection is going off in the brain and, and that's why it can be a, a very useful tool to visualize especially to avoid things like overtraining, right? You know, mental training is training. You don't have to be sweating to train. You don't have to be in your gear to train. Um, So the ability to visualize and kind of still get that workout in per se without having to actually put pressure on the body and and stress yourself out, it's huge, right? So that's why I think a lot of people incorporate that is because it's a way to get training time in without exerting the body. Um, And and that's, you know, why visualization is, is so big. And the way I use it in particular is, you know, I do a lot of stuff around kind of like Cognitive maps and mental maps and and almost creating expectations. Right. So, you know, for example, if you know you have a fight coming up, visualizing all the little things that can be involved in that aside from the fight itself. Right. How did getting the senses going? Right. What do things sound like or feel like or smell like and try to build up really like this this map almost or this blueprint in your head of what to expect? By doing that, you build a sense of familiarity, right? So if you visualize, even just the walkout, right? Something as simple as walking into the ring and, and you visualize that a hundred times. It doesn't matter if you've only done it once in real life. You're able to visualize it very clearly because you can remember what it's like. Well, now you're giving yourself almost like free experience, right? Because you only may have made that walk once, but if in your head, you've done it over and over and over again, by the time you have to do it again in real life, you feel you know very comfortable, very familiar. Like I've, I've been here before, right? So it, it's another great way to, Build a sense of comfort and build a sense of familiarity with environments that you may not have too much experience with.
0: It's very, it's very interesting. That you said you mentioned visualizing walkouts because i will go back to the TOT's uh, interview that I watched recently. He said that as well. He said that he would visualize his walkouts constantly. He was this he would because the interview asked him, so would you just would you just visualize you know how you would win the fight or the fight itself? And he said, no, I would visualize the whole visualize the whole thing for me uh walking out. To me winning and to me walking back out again so and he said uh, he did say that well uh, a big thing that he would do is visualize his walkout so it's a it's, uh, it's, it's interesting it's, it's, it's interesting that he said that yeah
1: you, you can i think that's the misconception right is when someone says hey close your eyes and visualize people just think like the competition itself right whether it's you know the fight or it's a game or whatever the case is but you can visualize almost anything that has like a clear structure to it, right? So whether it's the walkout, whether it's the warmup, whether it's the weigh-in, right, and the face-off, I mean, these are all moments that are pretty um, repetitive. It's not something that a curveball is gonna get thrown or, you know, hopefully not. So any any moments that are, you know, repetitive or you kind of have an understanding of how it's gonna go, you can plan for that by visualizing it. And, and again, it stems way before the fight because kind of like you were, you were saying at the very beginning when you used to spar with people heavier than you and you were nervous, but then when you started, it kind of went away. similar to fighting right like by the time the referee says go a lot of that nervousness goes away so what does that tell you it tells you that the most important time to prepare yourself mentally is actually like the window before that right like the 24 36 hours before that that's when things start to make us nervous right we see the ring for the first time or you see your opponent walk by or you get the memo that wayans is delayed by an hour or the shuttle was delayed for a certain reason like it's it's that time period before the competition that actually were were the most vulnerable when it comes to. So there's a lot of ways to plan for that. And I think that's what allows you to go into the event itself, feeling confident.
0: There you go, there you go, man. You just, like, I always knew visualization was a thing, but you've explained it to, in a way that has made me, made me think, wow. Like, I understand, I always knew about it, but I understand why fighters do that. And a lot of fighters don't, a lot of fighters don't, but the fighters that do, I understand a lot more about why they do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Is there anything you wanted to? Um, cause I did want to talk about a couple of other fighters. Is there anything that you wanted to to plug about uh, my uh, my lock, mental training, anything you wanted to mention that we haven't touched on or anything?
1: Not really. I mean, listen, if if you're if you're listening to this and you're even just have more questions about you know kind of what we do and how it works, you know check me out on on Instagram and Instagram we have a pretty big presence on. So, um, you know, send a DM and and just, you know, ask a question or reach out. I mean, I like talking to new people all the time. And, you know, if you want to look at the kind of online course stuff, you can go to courses.mindlock.ca and you'll be able to pull that whole thing up with the video and there's a breakdown of the curriculum. So there's, there's a lot of ways to kind of get more information if you want to, but in the simplest way, if you want to reach out, just send me a DM and, and, you know, we'll talk. Okay, there we we go.
0: And all the socials at the bottom of the screen, people The Instagram, the facebook the twitter and also the website his, his website as well so all, all there so if you're interested in maybe finding out more or, or, or talking to talking to him directly on instagram to find out more uh everything is, is, is there for you guys but i want to talk about two other things right uh, fighter specifically so as i mentioned before or any regular viewers of, of my of my youtube channel or even on the facebook uh, I've worked with Russell Levine. He's a karate combat big-a-weight uh, champion, and recently won the belt. Done about four or five interviews with him, and when I was talking to him, this is kind of how this interview came about because he, your uh, Meinluk came up because he said to me he had a call with you. I was like, okay, and I was like, I've heard of MindLock. and he's like, yeah, it, it will be good for your channel, and he said that uh, it, it's really good what what you what uh, what you do with uh, it. It helps what you do with him helps, right? So, I don't know how much you can say but could you go for a, like you know I know you already mentioned what you do but maybe is there any two two questions is there any specifics that you've done with Russ, Russ Levine that's specific to him and what is the biggest improvement you've seen since you started working with him
1: yeah I mean those are good questions Um, again you know Ross is a is a great example of someone that's incredibly tough I mean he's very experienced right like when you look at his history and combat sports, whether it was karate or it was kickboxing or, you know, karate combat now, very experienced, very tough. Um, it's another example, kind of like the other ones I mentioned before too, of of someone that can, can benefit from a system like this without having, you know, maybe huge apparent weaknesses. So, um, you know, with Ross, it, 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 again, it comes down to just structuring things, right? How do you feel about, um, I mean, even backtracking for a second, the best athletes in the world, They show up to training, they train hard and it is what it is, right? That's kind of like the notion is like, let me just train as hard as I can and I'll get better. Um, But you have to be a little bit more intentional, right? Like, well, what makes this training specifically, you know, better than the last one? Or what am I looking to do for, you know, for this session in order to, you know, get myself a little bit better? So being intentional, being deliberate, having goals for that and also understanding, you know, how to tie attitudes to actions, right? So with Ross, you know, that's something that, you know, he really liked was the concept of, you take an action that you want to have right whether it's feeling sharp or feeling focused or whatever the case may be and, and you have to understand like well how do i need to feel to make that happen right and, and this is something that a lot of athletes most of them really see as a, a benefit is it's like we all want similar things but you can't just hope for it right you have to figure out well, well behind the scenes how do i need to feel so you could say you know inspiring this weekend i want to beat everybody and you know work my game plan on them and do well but it's a question of, well, how do you need to feel when you walk into the gym to make that happen? Do you need to feel confident? Do you need to feel fluid? Do you need to feel sharp? Do you need to feel happy? Right. So everybody has different cues, um, you know, emotional cues that they can kind of verbalize to themselves to, to get that out of them and, and get the most out of their training session. So, you know, I, I think for Ross, that was something that was really helpful for him as, as well as, you know, all the other athletes is just the ability to be more detailed when it comes to practice and not just see it as, something to do and, and work hard towards, but understanding that you can really break down, you know, the structure of an individual session to, to maximize more value out of it than possible. So it's really just about incorporating elements that most people don't think of and, and allowing them to, to thrive because of that. Okay,
0: yeah, I, and what would you say is the biggest improvement you've seen from him since you started working with
1: him? Yeah, just, just an overall sense of comfort, right? I mean, like we mentioned before, fighting is so we're just sports itself there's so many variables involved so many things can happen so the ability to to stay flexible and go with the flow is is very important and you know coming into this that's something that ross was was already strong at but uh, you know developing over these last few camps it's huge right the ability and, and we talk about this all the time is just to say like that's okay right something happens that's fine flight gets delayed it's all good you know weight isn't the way it should be that's okay. Little injuries here and there, if they come up, that's okay, right? So, you know, just the ability to, to remind yourself to like, it's okay, I can be flexible. You know, the version of me that's required to compete at my best, you know, that's who I am right now. So these little things that come up along the way, they're pretty insignificant. So I think for him, it's it's that flexibility over these last couple of camps of just being able to remind himself like, we're good, you know, no matter what happens. And, and that's why you've seen him be so dominant, you know, over these last couple of fights. It's just this, this willingness to engage, you know, despite anything that may come up you know he's ready to, to roll the punches and you know impose his will there
0: yeah for sure and it's funny you say that right like oh something you know it's a journey right you're training for eight weeks whatnot and something you said something might happen and, no that's okay it's fine and that is a really that's so people think might get small, but that's a big thing because friends that i know the fighters fighters that i've spoken to spoken to numerous fighters myself right when i was training i had tunnel vision right so sometimes i'll be so focused right on getting from a to b you know i've got a fight coming up i want to do well i've got these things that i need to train i've got to eat this about that. so if someone came in and just messed up something so it, it would annoy me so much it was I'm, I'm like i'm so focused so sometimes maybe like you said a little thing happens or it doesn't matter it's fine right sometimes fights can be so focused right that Stuff that's not really that big of a deal, they'll make it a big deal because they're so focused on that goal, and then it can mess up, you know, their thought process or their training or whatnot. So you, that's a, you have a very good point. You have a very good point for sure. It's yeah, no,
1: thanks. It's uh, you you just you can't be stubborn, right? You know, you have to be flexible, and, and I think when we think of toughness and what it means to be, you know, mentally tough and strong, we we think about like that grit, right? That like just biting down and pushing through. And that's, that's a part of it, but it's really just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you know, mental toughness, it's it's so much, and there's so many things involved. And I think one of the most important things, like I said before, is just that emotional flexibility, right? Being able to go with the flow and be loose and not let things bother you. Because like we kind of mentioned, the week before the fight, that's when it's, it's not the the cardio that that weighs on you it's not the game plan that that's the mistake it's not you know soreness here and there it's really just random things that can come up right things like delays things like um, timeline issues right like it's, it's those little things that we don't really think to prepare for that can can be annoying um, and it's preparing for those things, right? So the flexibility of just rolling with the punches and understanding that, you know, you want to go from A to B, but you might have to take a detour first, but it won't stop you from getting where you want. It just takes a huge weight off your shoulders. Um, and and I think that's something I learned just from my own kind of career in competing was that I used to be that way too. Was just very OCD, right? Everything has to be perfect. Everything has to go the way, you know, I wanted to go for me to be at my best. And you realize through experience that it doesn't, right? You know, things happen, things come up, it takes you off of your plan. And you still end up competing well. And the the light bulb goes off of like, man, like I, I really didn't need as much as I thought I needed to compete well. And, you know, there's a freedom from that. So I think, you know, if there's anything to take away, it's just be flexible, go with the flow, um, you know, trust your training and understand that like, if you had to feel perfect on the day of the fight to win, I mean, what's the point in preparing, right? It's just luck at that point, right? So you work hard and do everything in your power to, to fight at your best or compete at your best so that you don't have to feel perfect on the day of right you can make it happen and i think when people start to realize that there's a there's a weight off of their shoulders and just this ability to like exhale there
0: yeah i I can imagine i can imagine yeah you just made me think about in the past when i was fighting (laughs) i wanted to talk about so a lot of fighters i've heard this from numerous fighters right i i i i i'll look at i'll look at instagram and i'll see comments that i don't like or i'll hear people say oh there's no way that he's going to win the fight so and so is going to beat him he always he, oh, he has no chance in hell right Nick, next, ne- next is comments right and a lot of fighters have said i used to i used to care so much about what what the, the fans or or uh reporters thought, and it and it wasn't helping me right it wasn't helping me to to progress how i wanted to progress but i got two things do you work on that side of it with your fighters and and secondly, uh, Bellator, middleweight champion, Johnny Evans. So many people writ him off, right? You probably know this already. So many people writ him off, right? I said it was 50 50. Some people, some people, some of my friends like, oh no, Gago Masasi. I was like, but actually go and watch Johnny Evans fights. Yeah, fair enough, he hasn't fought anyone on Gago Masaki's level, but go and watch this. He's actually really slick. He's damn good, right? So I said it was 50 50. But if you even look at the bookie odds, no one really, you know, no one thought Johnny Evans would win, right? So two things here. Do you work with fighters about, you know, the negativity that can come from uh, fans, you know, Instagram, uh, social media, uh, reporters? And also, did, did any of that kind of work come into your work with Johnny Evan Because so much people rip him off. So much people.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. You know, with, with Johnny, um, it, was, it was a while ago that I worked with him. I think, you know, maybe a couple of years ago. So we, we didn't prepare for this fight together. But, you know, just knowing him. I mean, he's the type of guy where, you know, you count him out and it's just fuel for him, right? There's some people like that where they, they want to be the underdog and, and they take that as a chip on their shoulder. And I think Johnny's one of those type of people where, you know, you can count him out, but it's just going to, you know, be fuel to the fire. And, you know, people like that really thrive off of, of that pressure. And then, you know, going back to the first question, um, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, and it definitely comes up, you know, when working with athletes of how to manage, you know, fans and and the perspective that people have. And the reality is, is. No one, you're, you'll never have everybody like you, right? So there's, there's no point in trying to be liked by everybody. You could do all the right things, right? You could be the nicest person, and you could be generous and kind. But you know, people have their own biases, right? They just might not like you because of where you come from, right? You know, you you know, you could be a fighter from the UK, and maybe you know, I went on a vacation there one time, and I got food poisoning, and now I hate the UK. So now, anytime yeah. I see someone there, I just I just you know have this bias. So it's silly things like that that kind of highlight the reasons why you'll never make everybody happy. So what we focus on is just remembering like, just care about like the four or seven or 13 people that are really, really close to you. And as long as they understand and you feel support from them, that's what matters. Right. And sometimes we don't even have that. So if you're, you know, if you're lucky enough to have support from the closest people in your circle, just use that because you could be the most perfect person on paper and and people are going to find a reason to hate. Right. So you can't get caught up playing the game of like, you know, I I want people to like me. You're getting caught up with the comments because people are so flip-floppy anyway, and it changes, right? I mean, it's it's frustrating to see, but it makes sense. You you'll see champions like Izzy or champions like GSP where people are rooted for their whole career, and then it becomes normal. And then because we've seen them win for too long, well, now we want to kind of see them lose, right? Not because they changed anything, but just because now out of bias, we're like, well, they've been at the top for so long, I kind of want to see them lose they didn't change anything about their personality or their style or anything like that. It's just a matter of the perspective shifting from let's support this guy on the come up. But now, you know, he's, he's been winning a long time. Let, let's see a mix up. So it's a perfect example why you can't control what people think about you. So as long as the closest people in your support system are there for you, just focus on that because at the end of the day, that's, that's really who you're spending your time with. For sure.
0: that You remind me, cause I, I, I think I, I'm a big person, of mental fortitude and, you know, Getting stuff done and stuff like that, and I think I, I personally think I have a good mental fortune But I always say this, right? I say if it comes with the territory. i, I obviously I claimed it for Mayweather, right? Mayweather always was like, it comes with the territory. So why am I complaining? If it comes with the territory, why are you going to complain about it? So for example, we're talking come out fighters, right? You've chosen to be a fighter, right? And you want to be the best, so you, you, your name gets out there. You get up in the ranks, and now you're, you're, you're out there. Your social media is popping you know you have to promote yourself you know you'll become, become your own brand as much as you enjoy the fighting you're still a price but You still want to make money right we all got to live right so people not lacking you comes with the territory it's impossible so if something comes with the territory that's something that really helped me in life if something comes with the territory right how are you really going to complain complain about it unless it's like utter and total like next level disrespect right Mm-hmm. Again, next level dis- disrespect it wouldn't necessarily come with the territory, right? because it comes with the territory, you can't really complain about it. Like I had a friend, this is a small example, that had housemates, right? And the, what was it? The housemate used to play loud music, right? Right. And he was complaining and getting so angry. And I was like, bro, wh- what time is it? It's like, it's in the afternoon. I was like, so how can you complain then? I, I understand it's loud music. If it was at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, cool. It's in the afternoon, bro. Like you it's your housemate so when people can complain complain about things right that come with the territory and i'm like what the hell bro you, you, sh- you can't let it bother you so when i was talking about fighters and you know social media and getting angry about comments you are the fighter is where they want to be you are a fighter you're winning championships your name you're getting paid to do what you love those things come with the territory you, you can't let them bother you so that's the way i see it anyway right
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, listen, anytime anytime you're in the public eye, um, you open yourself up to, you know, comments from people, right? And, and like you said, are they always fair? Uh, are they always respectful? No. And, and sometimes people say really disgusting things that aren't fair, right? So, but again, like you said, it's kind of what happens when you're in that space. And I, I think, too, it's something to keep in mind when you're at a lower level of competing, right? I think a lot of people think when they're at, you know, maybe an amateur level or they're at a pro level, but they haven't made it yet to like, man, you know, everything gets easier. I just want to make it, you know, I want to make it to the UFC or the Bellator or whatever the, you know, the main promotion is like when I make it, you know, life gets easier and I just have to make it there. And it's, it's wrong, right? Because as you grow and as you develop and as you start to become more and more popular and famous and you climb the rankings, things get harder, right? Now you have to make time for media and now you have to, you know, do meeting reach with fans. Now you have to see all these comments on your page. So, you know, it, it actually doesn't get easier. It gets harder as you grow so it's the reason why it's important to build such a foundation earlier right i think that's the biggest thing i see a lot of the time especially with people that make the transition from amateur early pro to bigger organizations like the ufc is it's not this this magic wand that gets waved and all your problems go away it's worse because now you're like man i have a three-fight contract with the UFC, I I have to win, right? So what do people do? They get stressed and maybe they don't perform at their best because they're hesitant and they don't take risks. And there's just, the fun is taken out of it. And then now, now, next thing you know, you're cut from the roster because you weren't yourself out there. When all you have to do is just do the things that you were doing before to thrive in bigger organizations. So I think the misconception that, When I make it, things get easier. I think to your point, it's a good example of how there's a lot more variables involved where it's not easier, right? Fans and comments and media uh, and and all these other things, it's drastically harder, actually. So I think it's a matter of trying to prepare yourself for that and understand, like, you know, let me become accustomed to these things now and, you know, set my expectations for it so that when I do get there and it does happen, it's not catching me off guard. Yeah, yeah, for
0: sure. Preparation. Yeah. Uh, Understanding that. Every action has every uh, decision has consequences, right? So, yeah, every decision has consequences. So there's always going to be positive and negative. So if you ignore all the negative, 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 negative that can happen from a decision that you make, then just, you're, you're basically done. If you if you, if you you can be objective and be aware about, okay, I'm doing this, these are all the good things that are going to happen. But also, there might be some bad things that will happen as well. So if, when they do happen, you're mentally prepared for it to happen, right?
1: hmm yeah yeah it, it's exactly that it's really just the power of expectation right you know when you expect something to happen or you anticipate it it's hard for that to throw you off right you know the analogy i use all the time is like if you if you've read the script of a of a scary movie and you know when all the jump scares are going to happen <laughs> it's not going to scare you as much when it happens because you, you knew it was coming right so you know in, in a similar sense when you set your expectations realistically and you manage your expect- and, and those you anticipate things properly it's hard for those things to really catch you off guard. It might still be a little surprising. You might not like it, but to really be thrown off by it is—it's a—it's less likely when you manage your expectations that way.
0: There we go. There we go. I wanted to finish up. I—I I really appreciate you coming on and uh, you know sharing uh, your thoughts and uh, you know telling us about your company. Because again, I've heard a a lot of uh, uh a lot of stuff about um, mind luck, mental training. So just a, a couple questions before you finish finish up what is you say the biggest thing that you you draw from your studying of psychology that helps you with the job that you now have with players
1: yeah no that's a good question um i think honestly it comes down more so just to the interpersonal stuff right how you can communicate with teammates and coaches and and a lot of more communication based things right because a, a team i mean fighting is very individual Um, but at the same time, there's a, there's a huge team dynamic to it, a team component to it, uh, and understanding that you need to manage those relationships properly. Right. So trying to navigate, you know, there might be things that come up between an athlete and their coach or with their training partner or with a teammate. So there's a lot of relationships to manage, you know, in a team. And sometimes it's navigating those things that, you know, it it comes in handy, that, that type of schooling, or, you know, even things. So, you know, there's something called like a, a bio framework and, and what that means is like people are made up of their biology their psychology and their sociology so like our dna and you know that's what makes us who we are you know our mindset is what makes us who we are and kind of our social situation so trying to approach problems from all three angles and, and not just one right so i think too that's another thing that comes in handy is is when looking at a, at a challenge or an obstacle or a, or a person breaking it down into those things that kind of bio framework and understanding like well how can we look at this from all three lenses to get the to the bottom of a, of a specific circumstance?
0: I've just written that down now. I'm gonna. I like to do a little personal research: uh, biology, psychology, and so, 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 sociology. I'm gonna. and That's what we're made up of. i wrote notes, man. I'm gonna do some re, some research. Uh, one other thing: what what fires are you currently besides? Uh, I know Ross Levine, but what fires are fires are you currently working with now?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Um, I think most notably, I'm, I'm trying to think, um, we're with, with Jazzy Parr out in uh, in Australia. So she's, uh, her her dad is John Wayne Parr, you know, very popular. Um, yeah, John um, Wayne Parr, yeah. Boxer. So, um, you know, she's been awesome to work with and she's been really successful too. So, you know, that's someone that's notable. Um, and I'm trying to think, there's a, there's a lot, man, a lot, um, especially just, like I said, North America, Asia, um, and then out in Australia as well. Um, yeah, I have to check, but I would say in terms of more recent people bringing on, she's uh, she's probably one of the most notable that, that I can think of right now.
0: Are you still, I know there's a UFC person, are you still working with Eric Shelton?
1: Eric, that was, okay, so a lot of those American top team fighters, so Johnny Eblin, Eric Shelton, um, that, that was back in 2020, like maybe early 2020 um after like i said dean thomas brought me down to, to att so um you know a lot of those guys it was, it was more of like a four to six month period that we kind of got some working with them and, and then kind of took it from there so eric was was back then and you know again another guy who's just super nice super humble um you know I, I think he's gonna be very successful in what he gets just with the freedom to compete you know when he wants and where he wants and not you know necessarily worry about big things right now like like for him when he's on his game he's he's awesome so i'm excited to see what he does with, with these new opportunities
0: there we go, go so what i normally do because this is you're the first i don't non-fighter right you, you obviously work with fighters but i haven't interviewed any trainers or anything like that so you're the first non-fighter so what i normally do and because you you've been a fighter for most of your life right again elite taekwondo amateur I always I always finish up the interviews with like a quick cry around. So I'm gonna um say some phrases and you just say the first thing that comes to your head. Okay. Um best of all time. GSP. Okay. I like that one. I like that one.
1: Power. Interrupt the Canadians, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure, man.
1: Power. What was that? Power. Power? Yeah. I think speed for some reason. I think I think it's the, the Conor McGregor quote when he said precision beats power, timing beats yeah. speed. When you okay, say power, yeah. I, I think speed as well for some reason.
0: Okay, cool, cool, cool. I, I, I like that. Uh hot. Hot? Hot, no, like hot, you're hot, like hot. Oh yeah, like heart. Yeah. Heart. heart. I think passion.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm forgetting now. So we had power, we had Hot and then we had great all time so uh, recovery
1: underutilized and i think of uh, i think back to ross levine you know ross is uh he, he's a he's a full-time fighter but he's also uh you know a, a physiotherapist as well so what he did is he created uh a program as well really to, to help athletes work on their recovery so that's you know really cool and I've, I've kind of helped him with that or you know he's trying to incorporate some of our stuff together so uh, when I think of recovery, I think of Ross because he's doing some cool stuff, kind of bringing that to light, which I think is one of the most underutilized parts of of competing. Other than the mindset stuff, is is the recovery portion too? Yeah, for sure.
0: And last one, skills.
1: Skills. I split them, right? I, I think of physical and mental skills, you know, for, for the sake of this, we'll, we'll call it mental skills. You know, you think of skills, you think of punches and kicks and knees and, and kind of what you can see. And, and when I hear skills, I think of things like confidence and motivation and self-talk and visualization and, you know, using mindset as a, as a skill set, not just kind of like a, a motivational thing. I think people think mental training and they think just like cheering people on you know like a little motivational talk here and there but you know i think mental skills and, and de- developing those pillars so yeah when i think of skills i think mental skills
0: that's crazy right that could be a good catchphrase for my look and use a mindset as a skill set that's mm-hmm. a great catchphrase man that, that's- there you
1: go it's uh we have it here it's on the internet forever so you know we'll, uh, i'll give you credit for that <laughs>
0: there you go there you go man and that's basically what you do right use my mindset as a skill set so, yeah
1: yeah exactly oh. just like any other tool that you have in your arsenal you know your your mindset can be just like that and, and why not use the brain as a weapon the same way that we use our, our punches and kicks
0: there we go i'm clipping this you you will see this on instagram in the next two days there you I'll, go I'll, I'll tag you for sure so, we'll again people thank you for joining me and this is i really enjoyed this interview it's a different kind of twist and stuff for the channel but i think i've learned, enough, learned a lot i took down some notes i'm gonna try and use it in my life but uh, this is an interview with dylan nadler uh, the founder of uh mind lock mental training so he works with athletes i know him for, as working with fighters but he's worked with nfl players also uh, uh obviously martial artists the uh, combat sports people but a vast array of different types of athletes so again thank you for uh, joining us is there anything you want to say to anyone watching or you know uh, basically anything you want to say in closing
1: not really, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. I think you know, maybe a couple of thoughts to leave off of is just, you know, asking people watching, right? If you're an athlete and you compete at a high level, <clears throat> ask yourself that question, right? You know, how much of performance is mental and how much of my training is mental, right? So, you know, whether that the answer to that is working with me or it's just doing your own research or trying to ask yourself some of those questions and develop that self-awareness. I think it's a valuable question to ask yourself of like, well... How much of what i do is mental and how much of my preparation is mental and if there's a discrepancy there there's an opportunity to build on it so i think it's a, it's a good question to kind of turn back to everybody else and you know see if they can come up to an answer with that
0: there we go awesome as always people like comment share subscribe tell your friends that's it from us peace, peace. we are Go.